0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, through 1-9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead, And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel.
1: Thank you, Mary Catherine. Uh, It's a privilege to be back with you uh, here today. Um, uh, I'm the Director of Discipleship for Christ Presbyterian Church. My name is Lee Eric Fesco. And uh, once again, I I know many of you, so it's good to see you again. Uh, For those of you that I don't know, uh, it'll be my privilege to meet you between the services. And uh, hopefully I get a chance to do that if I don't already know you. It wasn't so long ago where I was involved in an incident whereby I yelled at somebody and subsequently brought them to the ground. I know you don't know me all that well, uh, but uh, does that surprise you? Do I look like the type of person that will yell at someone and drag them to the ground? Because let me tell you something, it's absolutely true. What I'm telling you is absolutely true. Is At the Williamson County Fair, maybe about 10 years ago, I raised my voice very loudly, and then I brought this person to the ground. Sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? There are a few other details that you might need to know about this story. The person I brought to the ground... Uh, was my oldest son, who was about two or three years old at the time. Nevertheless, it's true. I raised my voice at him, and I dragged him to the ground. doesn't sound so tough now, does it? Uh, In fact, it sounds rather violent, and it probably raises more questions than it answers. It was at the Williamson County Fair, as I said, and there was a show going uh, going on that involved BMX bikes doing all kinds of tricks on this giant ramp. You know the kind they were using what they call a halfpipe. It was a giant... Uh, half pipe where they would start with their bikes up at the ledge here, and they'd, they'd come rapidly down the, the incline and up the other side and then do some kind of fancy trick and then come down on the other side again. And they had two or three bikes doing this all at once, all at the same time. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. I was seated, and my son, who, who again, who was just two or three years old at the time, he was watching this, 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 this performance, and his eyes were, were as wide as saucers watching what was happening. And he, he thought it was fantastic. I also had my youngest son with me. My youngest son was in one of those backpacks that was strapped to the the, the front of, uh, of myself. He was just happy to be there, didn't know what was going on, just a little guy, an infant, and he was in it, and there we sat on the floor watching the show, and it was great. Right up until my older son, who was so overwhelmed and excited by this action going on when he sees the bikes, he decides that he wants to go right in the middle of the bikes. He decides he wants to be a part of the show too and see the bikes up close on the ramp. And so he takes off running towards them. So what did I do? I yelled, but not in an ordinary raised voice tone, but in a somewhat desperate tone. Jack, no, I said to him. And I sat up, I, well, not all the way, but just enough, just far enough to get up on my knees. And I lunged forward and I caught Jack by the back of the shirt and I yanked him to the ground and he toppled over. Now, as you might imagine, that rattled him quite a bit. And uh, he was having a great time right up until the point that his father yelled at him and dragged him to the ground. The, the cool thing is, is I, I, I didn't hurt my younger son who was strapped to my chest. It was sort of a, a dive and a tuck and a roll. And, and, a, and It was a real power dad move. It was very impressive. As a matter of fact, the guy next to us came over and said, Nice tackle, Dad. So it was, a, it was quite the move. Now, again, if you don't know the circumstances behind the story... Right? And all you know is that, is that dad yelled and tackled his son, you'd think I was a monster. But in fact, what was I doing? I was desperately trying to protect someone that I love very, very much. It was a scene. It, it was on some level violent. I yelled, I made my son cry. My tone was not pleasant, my actions weren't graceful, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. It had to be done. Sometimes your your tone is in direct response to the circumstances unfolding around you. And, and often your tone, loud, animated, or, or otherwise, is dictated by what's happening. How much sense would it have made for me to say to my son as he ran towards danger, now, son, stop what you're doing. Hold it right there. Son, son, don't go any further. Stop right now. Please stop, son. It doesn't make much sense to do that, does it? Right? As he approached danger, my response elevated in tone and urgency. We're beginning a new series across all the the campuses at Christ Pres on the book of Galatians. And can I just tell you, I love this book. I I love this book, and I dare say it might be my favorite book of the New Testament. Why is that? Because when I studied it for the first time, it it took me by surprise. Uh, You see, we tend to approach the Bible with a a polite, reverent tone, don't we? And, And rightfully so. It's the Word of God. But when you open up the book of Galatians and read the opening words, you might be shocked to know that it's far from polite. In fact, some of the word choices that are used, you could say, are far from reverent too. Why is that? Because the person who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, is mad. He's very, very mad. Why is he so mad? Because he sees danger. Because he sees danger, he sees the church headed... For danger like a child running towards something that will harm him if he's not stopped in fact this is going to be our outline for today just two points two simple points why is paul mad and why it matters why is paul mad in these opening verses of galatians and why it matters to us why does it matter to us a little background on, on understanding what's going on here that leads us to establish the fact that paul is mad Okay, Like I said, this book took me off guard completely when I first read it because I didn't expect the Bible to be read like this from a PR standpoint. All right, if you've ever worked in public relations, you, you, you don't want your apostles talking like Paul is talking in this first chapter. If Paul were asking my opinion on this letter, if, if he came to me and said, hey, what do you think of this note which, by the way, happens all the time at Christ Press. We're always exchanging ideas and notes and, and letters with one another, getting each other's feedback. So it's not uncommon for someone to come pass something along to me and get my input. So let's imagine Paul does this for me. Okay, Lear, what do you think? I would have looked at it and I would have said, gosh, Paul, it's a little, little heavy-handed, don't you think? It's a, little, it's a little strong. Maybe you should start with something a bit more pleasant. You know, lighten the mood before you, you lay into people like this. Uh, Richie Sessions, who's a member here, has preached uh, a number of times here. He has said, the gospel isn't an egg, it's an iron ball. The gospel isn't an egg, it's an iron ball. Sometimes we read a letter like this with with a strong tone that it has, and we want to apologize for it. It, And and if Paul is mad, there's got to be a good reason. But we have to understand this, the Word of God stands on its own. We don't need to apologize for it. Okay? And again, if Paul's mad, there's a good reason for it. So, what's got Paul so worked up? Let's, let's look at a few elements of this letter. As you might imagine, in every letter that he wrote that we have in the Bible, he included an introduction to that letter, a greeting. We, we've lost the art of letter reading here in this age of, of, of text messaging. So, I'm so amused by our communication today. If you would have asked me 20 years ago, if you had asked me 20 years ago, what form of communication do you think people will most prefer in the year 2019? Uh, they'll have the choice. They'll have the ability to call someone up, right? See them face-to-face on a screen and speak directly to one another in real live time. Will, will people prefer that form of communication? Or will they prefer using short, shoppy, choppy text-based messages using lots of not-quite words, in fact, it will include hieroglyphic-like symbols called emojis, right? So not words, but symbols, right? It will go through one message at a time. Sometimes people will receive the message right away, sometimes not, depending on where they are, right? And, and what they're doing. And in fact, the non-reply will be common. Which form of communication do you think people will prefer in the, in the year 2019? We pick the short, choppy, non-word one. This is how we've decided to communicate with one another, through text messaging. Where in where, the word, uh, where Paul wrote a letter, it, it, was, it was very much in the traditional sense that we think of a letter, and it included all those traditional elements that you included in, in a letter. A greeting, for instance, okay? He would always include a, a formal uh, greeting, and in the opening pages of Galatians, yes, Paul includes a greeting here. In fact, it's the longest of his greetings, but it's not because it's full of pleasantries, Okay? Normally, he'd say something like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ to the churches at Ephesus or or wherever he's directing his his letter. Uh, But instead, it says this, verse 1. This is the very beginning of the letter. First impressions are, are everything, right? Here are the very first words, first impressions. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Well, Wait a minute. That doesn't sound very unpleasant, right? Maybe not on the surface, but look, he's coming out swinging here. He's coming out swinging. You see, we can read in Acts 13 and 14 that Paul established the church at Galatia, probably during his first missionary journey, so it was a young church, okay? And not too long after he left, some false teachers of Jewish descent surfaced at the church and began to teach a false gospel, all right? These false teachers were known as Judaizers, Judaizers, they were called. So what were these false teachers telling the young church that would have been primarily comprised of, of people of non-Jewish backgrounds, so Gentiles, okay? They were telling them that not only did they have to believe in Jesus for their salvation, but they also had to obey the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament too. Specifically, they were telling them they needed to be, to be circumcised and observe other ceremonial laws. In other words, they were telling them, well, before you can become Christian before you become Christian, you have to become Jewish first. Become Jewish first, observe all the ceremonial laws, and observe circumcision, and then then you can come to to, to Christ. Well, how did the the young church react to this? Well, they basically said, well, hey, that's different than what Paul taught us. That's different than what we heard from Paul. In their response, the false teacher said, Paul? Who's Paul? What's... What's Paul got to do with this? He's, he's not really an apostle. He was the last of us to turn to Christ. We've seen Christ. We, we've been around Him. We were here when He was here. We heard Him preach. Paul came much later, and, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not, he's not really an apostle. You see, those are fighting words for Paul. Back when my kids were much younger, they would chase each other around the house because that's what kids do. As a matter of fact, they're older and they still chase each other around the house. Sometimes it was a game, sometimes it was to inflict bodily harm on one another. Either way, I had a rule in the house, don't mess with the doors. Don't mess with the doors. Meaning that when you're running around chasing each other, right, in the house, don't close the doors. All doors must remain open. And, and when you establish a rule like that, it also establishes the fact that no one is allowed to slam doors, because inevitably that's what happens when they're chasing each other around. Someone will slam a door and, and, and try and lock it from, from the other one, and, and slamming doors are not good on little tiny fingers, all right? So I established a rule, don't close door, don't slam doors, so says your father, all right? Every once in a while, one of them would break the rule. They would try and hide from their sibling and close and lock the door. The one on the outside would say, Open the door. And naturally, the one on the inside would refuse. So then the one on the outside would say, Dad says no closing doors. And then the door would have to be opened at that point, and they were always obedient. <laughs> now, did the child on the inside open the door because the child on the outside told him to? No, absolutely not. He opened the door because the child on the outside invoked the authority of his father. He doesn't speak by his own authority. He speaks on the authority of his father. That's why the door was opened. You see, an apostle is not just a disciple. Sometimes we use those words interchangeably, the 12 apostles and the 12 disciples, but they aren't synonymous. They aren't synonymous. A disciple is a learner. Everyone who calls himself a Christian is a disciple. We learn and apply the teachings of Christ to our lives. An apostle is someone who's been granted authority. The word literally means one who has been sent out, sent out with the authority of the one who sent them out. You see, the word apostle wasn't unique to the Bible. Kings and other, others of high authority, they would have emissaries who served as the king's apostles. They were people who carried the imperial message. They, they, they didn't write the message, rather they were carriers of the message. But the message they were carrying and communicating would carry with it the full weight of the king's authority. It was as if the king were in person speaking for himself. These apostles were to be received with as much attention as if the king were present himself. And they were directly commissioned firsthand by the king and only by the king. So when you see the title, Apostle of Christ, it's not one title that someone can just take for themselves. You and I, yes, we can be disciples. You and I are disciples of Christ, but we cannot be apostles. We would have to be commissioned firsthand in person directly by Christ himself. The apostle Paul was. So when word got to Paul that these false teachers, the Judaizers, were saying Paul wasn't an apostle, Paul's response? Excuse me? Excuse me? Now read again the opening line of Galatians. First words, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's as if he's saying, let me remind you how much of an apostle I am. And let me remind you how much of an apostle you are. You're not an apostle. I am. Speak. I speak with the full authority of Christ himself. So, so why is something like that important to us? as we open up the, the book of Galatians, and as this carries us through the, the full six chapters of Galatians. Why is this important to us? Well, sometimes we have a tendency to, to look at the Bible and place greater importance on some parts of Scripture over others. Well, well Jesus said that, or, or that's Paul talking. Jesus never said anything like that. Or, well, that's the Old Testament. We live in the new now. We shouldn't think that way. We shouldn't think that way. Our Bible represents the full counsel of God. Our Bibles are written with the the authority of the prophets and the apostles, those commissioned directly and immediately by God himself. So that makes it all important, all of it. It makes it all relevant. It all means something to us, all of it. Paul Paul is, is defending his office, not because of his own ego, but because his words have their origin in the very mouth of God. And it means we should be very, very, very careful with it. These aren't the words of, 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 uh, of me. They're God's words. They're all, all of it. All of it's God's words. So that's the first thing Paul is mad about. And you waste no time addressing it. What else has Paul worked up? Arguably, arguably more, more than the apostleship issue. Paul is mad because these teachers, right, are preaching a false gospel. In his introduction, again, it sounds like pleasantries, but it's more commentary. Verse 3, he reads, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. He's he's emphasizing the heart of the gospel here. How are we delivered from sin? How are we delivered from the weight of the law? Through Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins. This is point number one that the Galatians were, were forgetting. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Adding to the work of Jesus is another gospel, as if there were another gospel, Paul says. If you try and add to the work of Jesus, you, you've started a new religion. Let me give you a quick tutorial on how to start a false religion, okay? It goes like this. It's only take a minute. You see, when you see, uh, when you see a false prophet, he doesn't come and announce his message by saying, hear ye, hear ye, I'd like to uh, lead you folks astray with my false gospel, my heresy. There hasn't been a teacher in the history of the church that has ever introduced himself as a false teacher. Not one. Instead, what does he do? The opening pages of Genesis 3 gives us a hint. When we're introduced to the, to the serpent for the first time in Genesis 3, what is his opening line? Did God actually say? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, That's clever. That's really clever. No, he said don't eat from this tree, right? Do you see what he did there? He took the Word of God and he just tweaked it, just a little bit. He just tweaked it, just the slightest bit. You see what these false teachers were doing in Galatia? They're taking the work of Christ and they're applying something else to it. What are they applying? They're using the very Word of God Let's use the work of Christ, but then let's add the law that God gave Moses back on top of it. But here's the thing, the law was perfectly fulfilled by Christ. The law was meant and designed to point us to the work of Christ. It was made to show us our need for Christ. It was meant to show us that that we can't observe the law in our own strength. It was meant to show us that we need someone from up there to come down here and observe the law and follow the law on our behalf. And that's what Jesus did for us. He came down here and absor- uh, observed the law on our behalf, and He did so perfectly, perfectly. So what does it say if He observed the law perfectly with, with reference to us? And, and then if you and I were to say, you know what, let, let me add a little bit to that. Let me see if I can somehow make the, Christ's uh, perfect work more perfecter. I used to be in publishing, it it kills me to write something like that, let alone say it out loud. There's nothing as perfecter, right? My older son, uh, he's really into cars right now, exotic cars, and it wasn't too long ago that he told me that his first car was going to be a Lamborghini. He he understands the value of a dollar a little bit more now, but I told him that he was going to have to uh, set him back about, oh, $200,000 at least. He earns money around the neighborhood mowing lawns. Now, with what he charges to cut grass, he would only have to mow 10,000 lawns. That's it. So that's one lawn a day, every day, all year long for the next 27 years or so. It's possible, right? But, but think about a car like that. What, what a beautiful machine. What, what a costly machine. I don't know if any of you have a, a Lamborghini, but, but imagine if, if, I, if, if you loaned it to me, And when I returned it to you, I told you, thought I'd fix it up for you. I took the liberty of of giving it a new paint job with my paintbrush here and just painted all over it. Now, uh, you'd be more than upset with me if I did that to your, your Honda Civic, let alone a Lamborghini, right? Putting something, anything on top of Christ's work ruins it. It ruins it. It makes it something else entirely. Do you see see what Paul has got, got him so upset, why he's so hot and bothered here? He came to town, he told the church the gospel, and they believed the gospel. And then some false teachers come in behind him, trying to discredit him and teach another gospel, which is a false gospel. And so Paul says, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You see what the false teachers have done here? They've tinkered with God's Word. God is very serious about His Word, and and it's not to be meddled with. Do you remember why Moses wasn't allowed to enter the Promised Land? I mean, man, what a drag. After all he went through with the Israelites, all that wandering and complaining he took from them, what did he do that prevented him from entering into the Promised Land? He tinkered with God's Word. You can read the two accounts, one in Exodus chapter 17 and one in Numbers chapter 20. Moses was told to strike the rock that was with him, that was present with him. To strike the rock the first time. And the second time, when they went through the scene all over again, he was told to speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. This was a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. This is the word of God. It's a foreshadowing. Moses was to strike the rock the first time, the second time he was to speak to it. But instead, in brash manner, Moses decided to strike the rock a second time. And that's not what God told him to do. That was not God's Word. And and for that, Moses was not allowed to enter into the Promised Land. He changed God's Word just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's all it took. And for that, we learned that Moses wasn't permitted to enter into the Promised Land. Don't change God's Word. Don't tinker with it. Let me read for you again what Paul is saying here in, in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. He says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we, as we have said before, so now I say it again, He's double emphasis here, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. He's saying that even if it's an angel, even if it's an angel that walks through that door right here, right now, and he stands here and he tells us something that's contrary to the gospel that he left for us, let him be accursed. It says anathema is the Greek word there. There isn't any place in the New Testament where more harsh and strong language comes from the pen of the apostle than what we have right here. This is not a slap on the wrist. He says, if anyone comes to you with a different gospel, I don't care who it is, let him be not rebuked, not silenced, let him be anathema, let him be reduced to nothing. So, yeah, Paul is mad. And if you mess with the gospel, if you preach a different gospel, well, that gets Paul fired up. And so why does that matter? Why does it matter? When we read this, it's hard not to think that it's a little removed from us. I mean, here we are, 2019, none of us are preaching a different gospel, right? We're good Presbyterians, we know good doctrine, right? We're very, very careful with our theology. Paul's nothing to worry about with us, right? Remember what we said, the gospel is Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Jesus Christ was nothing else. If we remember that, right? We're fine. When I finished school, I went through a season where I was having difficulty finding a job. I'd finished seminary, so I had a graduate level education. That's worth something, right? I elected not to pursue a ministry job at the time, but figured I had a lot to offer the world, especially in a place like Nashville. So much opportunity here. Well, I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. I couldn't find a job. I had several interviews, in some cases, multiple interviews, only to be eliminated in the last round. And I know many of you have been through this, and the feeling is all too familiar to you. It was, it was quite literally one of the lowest points in my life. My prayers began to sound a little something like this: "God, I've followed you my whole life. God, I even went to seminary. And, and this is the result. This is what I I get for trying to be a faithful follower of Christ. What else can I do? I'm praying to you and I'm praying for a job every day. I read my Bible every day. I'm serving my church. What else can I do? God, why are you mad at me? What else can I do here? Why, Why have I fallen out of your favor? Do you hear what I'm doing there? I'm preaching a different gospel. A gospel that says, if I do the following things, then I'll have favor with God. That's a false gospel. Have you ever found yourself negotiating with God, God, if you'll just answer my prayer just this one time, I'll do whatever it is you ask of me. Who's in control there? Who's controlling who? God, do what I say, meet my expectations, and we'll talk. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel, which again is no gospel at all. Or how about this one? Wow. I've really messed up. I've really done it this time. I'm deep in sin. Well, okay, new start. I sin this week. Next week, I'm going to be good. Next week, I'm going to do the things right. I'm I'm going to walk with the Lord, and He'll find favor with me, and He'll forgive me of what I did last week. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. You can't offset your your sin with with good behavior, with, with holy behavior. That's not the gospel. Or how about this one, similar to the last one? Wow! I've really messed up this time, I've done it this time, I'll never have God's forgiveness for this. I've gone too far this time. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. God's forgiveness isn't dependent upon your behavior. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Past, present, and future. That's what the gospel says. Or this one, I don't have God's forgiveness yet because I haven't suffered enough for what I've done. That's not a gospel. That's a false gospel. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel says. You see, we may not have a tendency to dig up the Mosaic Law and try to observe it, but we do preach ourselves a different gospel all the time. We do this all the time. What does the gospel say? Remember? Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Okay, Lyric, you keep saying that, Jesus Christ plus nothing else, but what does that mean? Let me read for you something else the Apostle Paul wrote and help to try and explain what I mean by Jesus Christ plus nothing else. If you read, I'll read you two things here. The first comes from his letter to the Philippians, and it says this, this is Philippians 3.9, and Paul is saying that he will be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he also says this in Romans 4, verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying there. We find favor with God, not, not by the things that we do. When I read my Bible or love my neighbor or go to seminary, I'm not earning capital with God. I haven't earned any extra capital with God because I live in America or because I go to church every Sunday. Those are all very good things, you see, but that's not how we find favor with God. That's not what makes God look at us and be pleased with us. In both those verses I just read from Paul, God finds favor in us. He counts us righteous because of faith. Okay, so, so how, do we, how do we do faith? Faith is not something you do. Faith is what you believe. And what, what we believe is this. God sent His Son not only to die for our sin, but to live for our righteousness as well. He came and not only did He not sin, but He was actively righteous, which is what the Lord requires of us. He requires us to be sinless and righteous. We were were not those things. We failed at those things, so Jesus came and did those things on our behalf. He not only paid for our sins, but He lived a perfectly righteous life, and He applied that, that life of perfection to us. And so so how do we get it? How do we get this status applied to us? What do we have to do? This is what Paul is, is trying to tell us. This is what he's screaming to us. Like a parent screaming at their child who's headed to danger. Here's the miracle of the gospel. You don't have to do anything. The Bible doesn't ask you to do anything in return. Just believe. Believe that the work that Christ did on your behalf is effectual. Believe that the work that Christ did on your behalf was satisfactory for the Father. And he assures us that. This is Romans 5, 9 to 10. It says this, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. You see, you have it. You have it. You, You have his favor. You can't add to it. You can't lose it. Believe it. Jesus Christ, plus nothing else. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for for your word. Thank you that it is perfect and and it does not teach error. Prevent us from, from trying to make it say what we want it to say, but instead allow us to ingest your word so that it changes us. Use your perfect word to mold us and shape us after your son. Use your word to point us to the completed work of your Son. And may we believe this word every single day. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for his sake we pray it. Amen.